And welcome to the Food Coma Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Martin Connolly, the owner of the Little Red Cup Tea Company, uh, operating out of Brunswick, Maine, correct? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so local, um, local company, uh, makes fantastic teas. I've actually been t- drinking the teas myself for quite a while now. Um, and this is what this is a fa- the family business, correct? It is, yeah. I, I run it with my uh, with my folks, uh, my my mom and dad, and uh, I I've at different times tried to rope uh, different brothers in. I've got three younger brothers, and it's funny, but they don't do what I tell them to do. So um, I mostly just run it with my folks. Yeah, that makes them not effective employees. Um, I know because I, I say... actually work. Uh, I've worked in insurance for. Um, my mother's company. So I know how terrible of an employee I can be as a family member <laughs> and I wouldn't hire me. So I will say we, we, we've done, um, events like we, 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 we vended at like the common ground fair and, uh, brothers have come up for that and been very helpful as, as you know, extra talkative bodies. But, um, day to day it's, it's just mostly me and my folks. Nice. Uh, so they, yeah. they, they can, they can operate, they get the chance to be the face of the company, but they don't actually have to do any of the real work. They do a lot of the real work. I get to be the the the, the pretty face of the company. Oh, I was but, I was um, talking about the brothers. Oh yeah, <laughs> of the um, yeah yeah. I'm assuming your um, parents do plenty of work. It's true. Now, you have a lot of history. Now, growing up, you lived in China for quite a while, correct? Yeah, yeah. So so we started going back and forth to China in '92, um, um, and I always have to to translate it from Chinese into to English when I try to figure out the year because I've said it more often in Chinese. But yeah. we started going in um, in 92. We spent a year and a half, 92, 93, and then a couple years in like 98 to 2000. And then starting in 2000, um, we sort of changed it up. Instead of going for big chunks of years every, every five or six years or whatever, um, we basically kept an apartment. Uh, my family kept an apartment in, in Beijing um, from the year 2000 um through uh last year uh or maybe the year before something like that um so we had a good run with, with basically just home base in beijing yeah. and we would go um a couple months a year um a couple times a year so so like uh a month or two in the fall a month or two in the spring we typically didn't go in the in the summer because summers in beijing are, are kind of miserable and summers in maine are kind of great yeah so um and I worked, so I was there sort of when I was in elementary school and when I was in middle school and then off and on through high school and, uh, and college. And then I, I worked in China for a little bit, um, after I graduated and then, um, and then I, I, I stopped and I stopped because it was right around the year 2008 when they got really, um, strict about uh foreigners there on tourist visas um because they basically were trying to kick out all of the sort of unofficial expat community um right around the olympics to to limit the amount of media um there um and it's it's since opened up um but right now um it's it's hard to go anywhere yeah i can imagine well it's hard to go any, anywhere anyway <laughs> you know it's hard to, yeah it's hard to go to uh you know portsmouth new hampshire so this is true. <laughs> I can't imagine any travel over there. So you have, um, you know, always 
uh, you've always had the the base in, in Chinese tea, and that's exclusively what the company works with. Now, I can imagine there's a considerable amount of um, bureaucracy involved in uh, exporting tea from China. Uh, yes and no, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, so, so yeah, we we only um, import Chinese tea, and and that's because basically. When, when you start thinking about tea and, and importing tea, you basically have to make yourself a box. Otherwise, you have too many options, um, at least according to me. And and also because the the Chinese part w- was a big part of what we were interested in doing. Um, if it was just good tea, you know, there's good tea in a lot of places. Um, but we are interested sort of philosophically about using... Um, the tea that we're importing as a way to have conversations about China and Chinese people that are sort of divorced from um, the geopolitical issues that we may have and as a way to sort of create bridges and all the good things like that. To your to actually answer the question that you asked, importing tea from China is not really that different from importing anything from China. And there's a lot of um, trade. So like we got hit with tariffs when everybody else got hit with tariffs and that kind of sucked. But um, we have a good um, agent that I think they're based in Falmouth. They're like they're local. Okay. And the the companies we work with in China um, are companies that mainly export tea, and so they're they're good at exporting tea. And like there's paperwork, um, mostly around shipping and and you know duties and things like that. But it's not, I, I, it's not hard. Yeah. I would say like it's it's work, but it's not like. Um, you, you don't have to like stand on one foot and, and you know rub your belly and pat your head at the same time. <laughs> right. You think there might be more involved, uh, but that's that's good to know. Now you you work with a a, a combination of five different co-ops. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. So so all of our teas are th- we have a list uh, <laughs> that yeah. all of our teas are are organic and fair trade and loose leaf and from China and good. Um, Talk about fair minutes. trade in regards to. To tea, I mean, obviously, it's a it's a term most people are familiar with now. Whether it's uh, tea, coffee, chocolate, uh, yeah, you hear totally. it a lot. Um, but what does kind of fair trade mean to you in, in regards to tea in China? Okay, so so this is really interesting. So, um, this is what this is what I have to say about we all of our teas are certified by Fair Trade USA, which um, split um, from Fair Trade International in a, in a great schism about ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but Fair Trade USA certifies most of the fair trade products in the US and which makes sense. And um, for us on our side and for our partners on their side, it means that there's a bunch of paperwork and a bit of oversight. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, that caused the split between Fair Trade USA and, and Fair Trade International, and this is getting into the weeds, is that Fair Trade USA wanted to be somewhat more open about the interpretation of what fair trade meant, whereas Fair Trade International was established um, a couple decades prior and had like really strong feelings about um, co-op ownership. It was one of the big things. For us, without getting into the the, the fair trade politics of it, yeah. um, th- this is what it what it really is: is when we do business with our partners in China they we say this is what we want to buy and they say cool it's like this much a kilo and we say great we'll pay it and that's a fair trade right yeah. like they're they're setting a price and we're paying a price and like no one is is being taken to the cleaners and everybody is sort of happy about that transaction so that's a fair trade 
On top of that, we're paying a premium for every kilo we import that goes back to a separate bank account. And that money is used by the co-ops for whatever they think is important. And it depends on the co-op. So one of the co-ops we work with um, is in a somewhat more affluent um, part, like still agricultural, but but more affluent part of the country. And so they use the premiums um, that they're getting to pay for like school uniforms and to sponsor some community kids for various things, um, which is sort of great. Yeah. Um, another co-op we work with um, in a less affluent part of the country is um, literally use their, their fair trade premiums to make um, a, a community um, outhouse basically, or, or, or like to, to, to improve um, and they bought a truck with it. So it's like stuff that they actually needed that was important to the health and safety of their community. Yeah, you kind of let and, them do the work there, figure they're the ones who are, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Um, so, so like everything from like school uniforms and like books to like sanitation projects. And what, what we feel good about is basically that, you know, on, on the business side of it, we are transacting. And they're they're making a product, and we're buying a product, and everybody sort of wins in that case. The premiums, you know, we're paying them, but the people who are actually paying the premiums are the people who buy our product, yeah. right? And so we feel good about basically a a certified and a traceable way that the our product is creating good in communities, and the good that it's creating in the communities is determined by the communities that that are receiving it um so what we're not doing is like sending a bunch of shoes to a a place where everybody's got shoes um and it's it's something to feel good about it's not the i i'd say it's not the point but it it makes us feel like we're creating we're, we're doing small amounts of good at every step of the the way yeah and at the end of the day uh, you get really, really high quality tea out of the deal. <laughs> I mean, which is the point? The point, right? I mean, it's funny. But I think that most people still. I mean, for I think for a lot of Americans, still tea is sort of you know Lipton. Uh, you know, it's in a it's in a bag. I mean, it's definitely coming around. I think the same thing with coffee. I mean, sure. For you and I, because we live in a in a place where there's a little more availability. I think sometimes you take that for granted that there's a lot of places in the United States where, you know, Maxwell House and Sanka oh, yeah. and, you know, Red Rose Tea and, you know, all those things are sort of the gold standard. And it's like, you know, getting a box of like stash teas is like considered like a real splurge, you know, <laughs> like like real fancy, yeah, like real fancy. Um, one thing I really enjoyed that I've actually seen several times now is the 2007 documentary on David Hoffman, uh, mm-hmm. all in the all in the tea. And that, yeah, yeah. that's really interesting to me. Now, in that, he talks a lot about, when I asked you about the bureaucracy involved with uh, importing the tea, um, in that he's running into, and I'm sure that the business has probably changed in 13 years, due more to the the, the um, demand from the American market, I'm sure changes a lot of things. But back then, he was probably one of the, the foremost people bringing in really high-end tea. But uh, there's this whole thing of, of him with his all of his uh, Chinese connections and all these guys mm-hmm. who are just like, you know, the traditional way of doing things is almost like you, okay, there's these small farmers and everything, and show us the tea you want, 
and then we'll we'll make it in one of our factories for you. So all the right. taxes will be paid, and you'll be it'll be done the way we do things. And he couldn't convince them that he just wants to buy it, <laughs> like that bag of tea they're showing him. I just want to buy this. It's kind of like you know in, in Boogie Nights when the with the demo tape, and they're like, <laughs> "Look, we need to get the magic." On these tapes right. to the production company. He's like, that sounds more like a YP than an MP, uh, as in <laughs> your problem rather than my problem. And that's sort of like the attitude he's running into, at least at that point in China. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So China's one of the last places in the world where there still are individual tea farms. Mm-hmm. Tea, tea, tea is like um, like coffee yeah. and like a lot of things like is mostly produced in in big sort of agricultural production yeah. um, and you know certainly um, and, and, and tea is is you know we can talk about geography but like there's a lot of tea in China there's a lot of tea in India there's a lot of tea in Africa and Kenya mm-hmm. especially and then um, Sri Lanka and Indonesia are also big tea tea producing regions yes. and all of those places um it, also it's big grown tea consuming regions as well a- absolutely yeah. um but in all those places it's grown sort of large scale and I'll, there's a lot of large scale tea production in china as well and certainly all of the co-ops we work with are are basically producing tea at scale um because it's just much sort of more efficient in china there are still sort of community or, or sort of personal family plots and the what's interesting is that kind of like coffee the growing of the tea and the processing of the tea is, is very s- split yeah so like you grow it you pick it and then you have to process it before you can do anything with it and so in those places people will basically grow their own uh have their tea pick it and bring it to a, a larger um place kind of like a coffee washing station yeah. to and 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 sell their tea to um a factory that that can do something with it um yeah. there are people who who bring in um, tea that it is grown and processed by like an individual. I've seen and, that and process. Those, it's like with the wok and everything, like by hand yeah. and over dry heat. I mean, it's really, really intricate and intense. It is, and those teas are really good. Um, and they're not what we we import at all. Right. And and there's a reason for that. And the reason is that we part of our mission is is bringing really good tea that you can actually afford to drink every day. Yeah. And those teas are are selling for you know like. 20, 30, 40 dollars an ounce. Yeah, the which... Phoenix collection. Are you familiar with that? No. That's that that the, well, the gentleman who the documentary is about, David Lee Hoffman. Uh, yeah. He has a company out of California. It used to be called Silk Road Teas, but he sold that in right. two thousand four. And now he has this called the Phoenix Collection. And literally, it's amazing because it's, so it's this tea list. If you go check it out online, they are you know for a quarter pound they're running up to four hundred dollars. Uh, a lot yeah. of the pu'er uh, are the more expensive, uh-huh. you know, for obvious reasons. You know, the, he has some pu'er from like the '80s and things like that. Right. Um, but it's really kind of amazing because he's still so set in that mentality. I mean, I don't know the guy. I don't really know, uh, he, but he seems obviously like a pretty important figure in the in the tea world. But uh, he, you can't order online. You have to literally download an order form that you mail in. Still, right? Because <laughs> he like, gets to do well, whatever he wants. I'm trying to figure out an online shopping system for you, but for now, you know, you you write <laughs> the teas you want, and they're like, if you if if we're out of this tea, are you okay with us substituting? And uh, yeah, I think that's a very niche market that's probably purchasing that tea at the same time. Like, I want it. Like, oh, it makes me be like, whatever. I want to taste what 
you know, $400 a quarter pound tea tastes like. Yeah. I, I mean, just like you want it to, to taste 400 bottle fancy whiskey. That's true. Like, why not? But I think with the whiskey and the wine, see, the difference is with, with whiskey, wine, with expensive product, um, you know, caviar, all those things, like you're eating it and it's already prepared for you. But you can buy a really expensive, expensive coffee or expensive tea. But if you don't know how to brew it, you're, you, <laughs> you can, can ruin just it. absolutely butcher you can butcher it. Yeah. it. You can literally, you could be better off having a Lipton tea bag or having a, a drinking a can of brisk. Um, yes. You know, then like, that's what's kind of amazing to me is like the first that's step true. is purchasing it. But now you've got another step, which is your, it's your responsibility to know how to actually make it uh, and, and mm-hmm. do it justice, you know, because whoever made that $400 tea, you're kind of not really doing them a solid if you just toss a bunch of like shitty tap water in there and, you know, bring it to right. 300 degrees. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, this, this, which is that, that's what's fascinating to me, I think, is the is the multiple elements and then how much you can really uh, nerd out on tea preparation yeah. on top of the actual tea itself. Absolutely. Um, that's a really good point. And it's so one of the differences between tea and coffee is that like one of the fun things about coffee is all the stuff, right? Yeah. There, you can, there, there's like oh, yeah. siphons and, and, <laughs> and machines and like all the things. It's like Breaking and, Bad. And, Actually, it's in Breaking Bad. They have the perfect coffee. Yeah. That, which is an amazing scene. That makes you want to like geek out about coffee. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it, it's wicked cool. But with like... And and there are some things for tea. There there's like there there's been some like new innovation and like there are some cool new machines, but really like you're just putting leaves in hot water, yeah. and and then you you take them out of the water or or you take the water out of the leaves and that's it. Yeah. Um. And it's what that means is that a lot of it comes down to like you said like like good water makes good tea, mm-hmm. and you know, also not boiling the shit out of your leaves, but like it, it, it doesn't have to be that complicated. And one of the things that that we look for when we're selecting our teas is uh, sort of durability or flexibility. And so we've had, like we've had and discarded samples of really excellent tea, but, but they were only good if you really hit them like right at 86 degrees or something like that. And like, you could get really nice notes out of them and like you could really enjoy them if you were really careful, but that like that breaks the like the daily part of it. And, yeah, and you're gonna get a lot of people who are like, What the hell did I pay money for? This tastes like anything else. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and 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 so so when we're selecting teas, which is like kind of the, the big thing we're doing, right? Because like we're not growing the teas, we're not processing the right. teas. So so the the what what we what we get to take a little bit of credit for is choosing good tea right and, and the way one of the things that we're we're really grading on it if 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 you get to call it that is like is this good at like both 90 degrees and 95 degrees mm-hmm. and like is it not terrible if like i walk out of the room and forget about it for a couple minutes and come back and like have oversteeped it's just it. a just um, a big glass of tannin right and and, and and if you sort of look at at the sort of the the breadth of our very limited catalog, that's true for all of our teas. Is like they're all really forgiving. Yeah. Um. And and you have very because, and not now as somebody who's been I've been drinking your teas for a few a few years now, um, 
and I, I always appreciate the the instructions on the package are very easy to understand. Um, you know, there's just a temperature rating. There's, you know, the amount you should use per cup <laughs> and the amount of time you should steep it. Yeah. Recommended by you. You know, it's like obviously every, everybody's and, 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 it, and, it, and it's pu- And it's purely recommended by me. And like yeah. if you don't like it that way, like do it your own way. I don't yeah. care. Now, we're going to talk more about <clears throat> the actual, the, the specific tea. Uh, but before I get started with that, I mean, to you, what are the criteria? I mean, so for the saleability or the practicality from a business sense, what you're just talking about uh, is really right. important as far as the user-friendly nature. But yeah. as far as from a pure quality in your perspective, what makes an, what makes a great tea? Mm. So I would say for every tea that we we add to our catalog, which is like I think we hit eleven this year. We might be up to twelve. And and we started back in twenty twelve with five. So we, we wow. add yeah. we've we add like one or two a year. Um, so for every tea that we add, we probably don't add about a hundred maybe. Um, yep. And the things that we are are looking for are to some extent price point because we really want it to, to sell tea. It's not a, it's not a ramp. It's a, it's a, uh, it's stairs or a ladder. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and we want to stop at, at a place where it, it's not inconceivable that you would you could pay to drink it every day. Right. Um, right. But again, this, then, is, this is more of the business right. element. Of course. And then, so, so ignoring that part, what we're really looking for is it's pretty hard to describe because we're looking for tea that, that we like. And that's, that's basically the biggest requirement. Um, it, it took me several years to realize that, um, that we, and that I liked really, uh, sweet teas. Um, and so all of our teas, and and I only realized this, we went back and to check all of the, um, brewing method recommendations. Um, and so it was like the first time that I'd actually sat and like had all of our teas right back to back. And the thing that, that jumped out at me was that they're all really sweet. And like, clearly this is something that we're, that we're sort of selecting for. Um, and so, so we want them to be sweet. And then we, the other thing we want is that we want them to be different. Um, and to some extent reflective of, of the sort of breath of Chinese tea. And, you know, there's no way that, that a limited catalog can, can really do justice to, you know, the, the 500 or the, the 2000 year history of, of tea in China and, and to the, you know, enormous geographical, um, variation in that tea. But what we try to do is we try to have sort of teas that are are either representative of a region or representative of a style or just different from other teas that we have. And so, you know, we were tasting uh, black teas uh, the other day and there were two that were pretty good, but they were pretty good, but also pretty similar to other tea that we already had. Yeah. And that them being like good and forgiving and sweet and interesting wasn't enough at that point because they didn't add anything they had to, the to stand lineup. out in the lineup yeah yeah and so 
I, I would say what we, we're definitely tasting for sweet. We're definitely tasting for uh, forgiving. And then the other thing that we're tasting for, because, you know, there's only so much you can do is sort of interesting and dynamic. Um, and so there aren't many of our, our teas that have only one note, like, and most of them are, are teas that you can sort of, um, you can drink them and enjoy them without thinking about them, but you can also drink them, uh, sort of thoughtfully and carefully and, and really sort of roll them around in your mouth and be like, Oh yeah. Like, because I see there's actually, um, one, one thing I've noticed is that there is a certification now, as far as a tea sommelier, there are courses, offered yeah. um that are seem extremely extensive so that yeah what you're talking about now i'm like you know how would a tea sommelier assess a tea you know right versus like the, the everyday tea drinker for like you know a tea i could drink all day like what what i guess compared to wine you know for instance in wine like you 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 can tell the quality of a wine and for instance that's been hand-picked rather than one that has a bunch of stems and is all you know sure. crushed in you you can you can you get that and with tea i'm assuming it you know the leaves. I mean, if they're if they're whole. I mean, how does that? Yeah. So so that that's part of it for sure. And there's there are a couple of of sort of international tasting and testing standards that we basically ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because the the only thing that we're trying to do is please ourselves and and please the people who trust us. Um, those tasting standards. Um, range so one of the ways is that to to technically taste teas you use a ton of tea and hot water and steep it for five minutes so Mm -hmm. it's five grams of tea and water that's 210 degrees fahrenheit and a five minute steep and what you get when you do that is really miserable tea yeah like but it it, really probably shows the flaws of the tea exactly right so 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 you're you're able to pull out everything bad by doing that and and then you're able to discard things so not a fun way of drinking tea almost like when you have to when everybody thinks it's like the wine business is glamorous because you're like oh i went to a taste i had to taste like 200 wines you know before 2 p.m and people like that sounds awesome you're like actually it's terrible um, and all right. you really want when you finish is like a cold Budweiser, like you right. just like get. I need, you know, and you're spitting, and it's not like you know, it's not one big party. And it sounds like with tea, it's the same way. Um, yeah, I don't know um, if with coffee, if that's how they do it as well. I'm not sure, but yeah, I, I've like, I don't really know. I can't speak to yeah, coffee helping, yeah. but um, so so like we will do that, and and we'll do that um in China with our partners there because because you know you you show up at um at an office and they lay everything out and and that's how they're they're set up to to sort of do it yeah. right um but when we do our sort of secondary like okay like these are the the six that stood out like let's actually decide which of the six we're gonna bring in i don't i don't super care like yeah. if, it, if it tastes good then then we're gonna do it um mm-hmm. and and i would rather try to brew it in a way that a normal person would brew it and see if it's good that way than than any other way. Um, in China, one of the ways that you evaluate tea, um, there's a couple steps. You you look at the dry leaves and you sort of examine them for their wholeness, but also um, their consistency and um, to some extent their their sort of uh, aesthetic appearance. Um, and so you want them to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, then you um you you put them in a cup with a lid 
and you uh, steep it there, and then you take off the lid and you smell the lid, mm -hmm. um, and then you you strain the water out into a separate vessel, and then you look at the the now wet leaves and you look at them again to see you know how they change, yeah. and then you taste it. Um, Americans probably which, seem a little less concerned with the aesthetics of the tea. Do you think yeah. that's the, the cafe in China? Maybe it's more of an important uh, characteristic of it, or so. So this is where it, where it's interesting because like this the the people who are doing those three those things are are thinking really deeply about their tea right mm -hmm. and they're they're often like good teas and they're teas that you would sit with a tea set and, and maybe a friend and maybe yeah. some peanuts and like drink tea for three hours yeah, yeah. Um, and most people don't do that um, most people will put you know, a teaspoon of, of leaves in the bottom of a thermos and fill it up with water and walk out the door. Right. And they'll, and then what they, what they do is. I also like when you went thermos, with thermos there. I don't, do you think most people are still rocking a thermos or. In China? Absolutely. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I mean, trust me, I wish I still had a thermos. Um, or uh, a, a, a thermal vessel. Cause I guess thermos is a, a, a brand. Well, but, therm yeah. I'm talking um, more of a brand like Trapper Keeper. Trapper Keeper mm. is technically just a folder where you put a bunch of shit, but it's a Trapper Keeper. So that's I mean, to me what I mean, thermos is, you know? I, I'm never going to call a thermos anything but a thermos. I'm never going to call a Trapper Keeper anything else. I mean, like, what a great word. Isn't that the best? Um, like, who thought of Trapper Keeper? And, like, why didn't I save so any of say. mine? I know. I had one with I, a I tiger that was that... making a big claw mark, like he was coming oh, yeah, through yeah. the Trapper Keeper. Well, well, th this was also the era of the... Uh, the dolphins jumping over the the island. The, you remember those? I remember the video for "Don't Cry" by Guns N' Roses, but that's all the dolphin no. memories I have from my childhood. No, th okay. So, so like like Wolf Moon, dolphins over an island. There, oh, there's a oh, whole... these the, the like the images. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which wasn't that what? No, I guess Free Willy was a whale. He Free wasn't Willy's a whale. dolphin, but he did that whole thing where he jumped over the fucking kid who was right. This is true. Doing the any of the kids like, and I'm like, that seems incredibly <laughs> dangerous. If that tail just clips that fucking kid, he's going in the water. I know. And the sharks will get the whole him. thing. Yeah, even though the whale may have saved him, but yeah, I see. Yeah, the the dolphins over the rainbow, the wolf in yes. the moonlight. I mean, yes, iconic trapper keeper images, really. Exactly. That's that's what I was going for. Um. Got you way anyway. off track here. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, so here's the thing. So, so most people just throw throw their tea in the bottom of a thermos or any bottle and and fill it up with hot water and walk out the door and and they're not sitting and, and smelling and looking. And so, we are are, are in this really funny position where we, the we want to have tea that's good for both. Yeah. We want to have tea that you can almost ignore and 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 just make it part of your your routine, but also tea that will stand up to. Um, a tea session where you, you sit and you, you talk and you think and you drink your tea. Um, and so, which is sort of, it's an interesting challenge. Um, but, but one that we, uh, have taken on. Yeah. And I think that you succeed uh, with flying colors because that's exactly how I would assess. I've probably had tried about seven or eight of your teas and that's how I yeah. would assess them. Everything from the, the, uh, eyebrow, is it the eyebrow green, right? That's sort yeah. of the, uh, the flagship tea. Two of the, uh -huh. the oolongs and the pores. And actually, I really liked, so we're going to talk about types of tea momentarily. Yeah. But I really liked the yellow tea uh, that I got. Yes. That was really cool. I've never had anything like that. Um, 
Now the eyebrow. So they say that with the the see the, the whole as the legend goes, it's uh, a monk uh, Bodhidharma apparently mm-hmm. came to China to achieve enlightenment. He was getting all bent out of shape because he kept falling asleep. So he ripped his fucking eyelids off and he threw them in the ground so he'd a stay awake and b I guess the the you know apparently the tea bushes grew out of his eyelids and that's how the first tea bushes happened. So that's one story. It's yeah. <laughs> a good one. Um, so 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 there's another one. Um, and and I think that guy, I th- there must be two eyelid stories because there's another guy. There's a Japanese monk who who cut off his eyelids to to stay awake so that he could meditate for longer. Oh, I, th- I, I, I mean, I tea. said tear off for effect. It may have been yeah. the same person. He could have he could um, have uh, just whittled them off or whatever. I don't know how he got them <laughs> off. If I was gonna have eyelids torn off, I just want you to just get it done. Right, just 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 like just a quick ripping snip off and, the band-aid, and, and you're all, you know, and you're all set. Um, so so there's this other there's this, the myth of of Shen Nong, which is what is it that was it translate to? He he's like the uh, he's sort of like a a medical uh, Johnny Appleseed of, of of Chinese mythology mm-hmm. who um, is attributed with a lot of the knowledge in Chinese traditional medicine comes from comes from Shen Nong. Um, and, and the cool thing about him apparently is that he was clear, and so his 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 whole jam was walking around and eating things and then seeing what oh, it he did. was transparent. Yes. Oh yeah. Um, what what it did to his insides huh. so that he he could figure out its medical properties. Like Mr. Body. Uh, yes. Um, and <laughs> and he did this for like, at all, but okay. He 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 did this for uh, for like 120 years until he finally ate something that was poisonous and then he died. Um, but so the story goes that, that he was sort of walking through the forest and, and some, some leaves from an old tea tree fell off the, um, the tree and into the water that he was boiling and, and that he tried that and, and discovered the medical properties of tea that way. Um, a lot of things. Um, but when you look at the history of tea, what's, what's really interesting is that tea goes from be, basically being uh, a medical thing to um, an aesthetic thing. Right. And o- medical is sort of just like a, a helpful side benefit of something that's enjoyable, right? Um, exactly. And 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 then now you know we're we're back to, to people drinking tea for the, for their health, which I which I think is very interesting. Um, but yeah, so so it, it, looming in the the world of tea, you have Shen Nong discovering tea. You have um, a guy in the Tang Dynasty, uh, Lu Yu, who um, is sort of the the great aesthetic protector of tea who um uh tells everybody to stop drinking tea the way they're drinking it which is basically soup at that point and to start really appreciating leaves and then after that you have really the the evolution of sort of a loose leaf tea culture in china for like since the tang dynasty um which is just fascinating absolutely and it seems like there's always um tea there's always some pearl of wisdom that goes along with any kind of tea story or tea <laughs> analogy there's always like it comes with its own built-in wisdom yeah no absolutely um one of lu yu's things was was water quality so apparently like he he once uh told one of his uh his lackeys to go get him some water for the river but from the middle of the river um and and the lackey was lazy and so he, uh, t- he took it from the edge of the river and came back and lu yu was able to say like big like, you're, you're fired you're, yeah you're fired you basically step into my office. you're fucking fired uh, if you want me to drink this muddy uh, bank water here, I sent you, yeah, dude, to the guy, middle of the river. That guy the whole dead, thing. dead to me. That that apprentice. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, which, you know, is basically what we write on the cards that we put in, in all of the packages we send out, which is like, think about your water. That's what you're drinking. Yeah. And I use, um, as you see a tourmaline spring I use for everything. I make my coffee, my tea. Uh, I drink, uh, five liters of it a day. I basically, the only things I don't do with it are brush my teeth, cook pasta and shower. But other than that, I pretty much use this water for everything. And they're not even, yeah. they were our first sponsor, but they're not even really sponsor anymore. I just absolutely adore <laughs> You just I, like them. I love it. And it's, yeah, it's like such a perfect kind of base palette for a really good tea because the water is so just refreshing, mm-hmm. but there isn't really a flavor, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm. How refreshing. Yeah, we just use a, <laughs> we just, we just use a Brita filter and yeah. it, and it's good. Yeah. It's but all you need. As long as you're filtering the water in some way, because it's just so rare these days I mean, when I was growing up, I, I live in Yarmouth now, and when I was growing up, the water, it came from a, a spring or so. Like, the water was always really, really good in Yarmouth, and, I, yeah. and it sort of made me a bit of a water snob. I was always like, I noticed the first time, you know, I had water with an off taste to it, and then I kind of just became obsessive about it. But now, they did, uh, I think they did one of those projects in the town where they, like, redirect the sewers or, you know, they pull up the pipes. Uh-huh. And, and now, I think that water, Yarmouth tap water is wretched. Um, it's really weird. Like it, it went from like being absolutely delicious to just like, I don't even like ice cubes from it put in my drinks Mm. because it starts to taste like the water. It's terrible when you start to recognize things and then, and then you have to fix them. Like it's, it's almost like it would be better to not know. Absolutely. Ignorance is bliss. And, but yeah, the simplest, just the, the Brita filter is great. I mean, it's. It's all you need, really. I mean, you can go, you can take it to yeah. as much of an extreme as you want with your water, but as long as you're doing something, you know, and I think that, I think that Brita filtering tap water is better than using like Dasani or Aquafina or any of those. Absolutely. Because that's essentially yeah. what that is anyway, but that's been sitting right. in a plastic bottle for, you know, however long, <laughs> however long it took to, you know, to get to you. Uh, yeah. The only time it's acceptable to drink Dasani is when... You're really hungover, you stop at a McDonald's drive-thru, and you just need some hydration with whatever you're about to order. Uh, that's the only time I ever drink Dasani water. Yeah. I think I think that's... I, I agree. Yeah. We're in agreement. Yeah. As long as it's cold. They usually keep it nice and cold, so that's good. You, you see, you notice less <laughs> of the flaws in the water when it's screaming cold. Exactly. It's, it's, it's the opposite of <laughs> uh, boiling the shit out of your leaf. <laughs> that's right. It's the exact opposite. Um, yeah, nobody wants uh, to drink some hot Dasani. That's, 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 uh, so I want to talk about, actually, so specific kinds of tea. Now that we've sort of yeah. we've talked about the business, we've talked about... I feel like everybody listening... If you're not really feeling like brewing yourself some tea right now, then you'll probably turn this off by now anyway. You know, I mean. I, I, at, at this point, you better be along for the ride. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just going to kind of start into it. I mean, so as you said, you spe- specialize in, in exclusively Chinese tea. Uh, it seems like from three provinces, from Yunnan, uh, Hubei, and uh, Jiangxi, is that? Um, yeah, so so we have tea from Yunnan, we have tea from Hunan, from Hubei, Hubei yeah. and from Jiangxi. Okay. The the X is a SH. Yes, Jiangxi, Jiangxi, yeah, like the uh, Shaanxi uh, vinegar. And Yes. The there are certain there are certain kind of I guess you could there's a million different teas in, in each category, but uh is, is certainly a, a a few important kind of uh 
baseline. So there's white tea. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk about white tea. Cause a lot of people are not as familiar with that, even though it's becoming, even though, you know, it's now a flavor that Snapple does. Right. But, <clears throat> but like, what is, what is their white tea? So the whole, the whole spectrum is basically an oxidation spectrum, um, which is, you know this, but like bananas turning brown um, or, or mm-hmm. rust. Right. And so um, white teas are not oxidized. What's really interesting about white tea is that, there's actually a lot of variation. So there's like white teas that brew as basically clear mm-hmm. and they're just like, sometimes they're just like a bud or, or a bud and a leaf. And, and they, they taste really, really delicately of something that's not water, but they're very, subtle. they're very delicate and subtle. And then there's the white tea, like the, the white peony that we have, which is like a fairly robust tea. Um, but the thing that makes it a white tea is, is the fact that it's not oxidized. And so, that tea is literally it, it's picked into baskets by hand, um, and then they they lay it out on tarps and it's sun dried and that's it, um, and and that's what makes it a white tea. Um, the peony part of, of white peony, I think, as far as I can tell, in all of the years that I've been having to answer this question, is just because um, the Chinese love peonies and yeah. it's like a nice uh, they 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 put peonies on their teapots and and it's a nice idea and so like why not just call it a white peony tea yeah and it's kind of similar i think and i'm especially when we're about, about to ask you more about green tea um it's almost similar in asian culture like when you're buying sake uh mm-hmm. everything there's certain you know styles like there's certain parts of the label that are telling you about what kind of sake this is but usually there's a fanciful name of some kind like you know island yeah. moonlight or pride of the village or you know divine droplets they always have a really <laughs> interesting name which i absolutely adore and it's like i will i will buy that i don't even care i want it um i want some divine droplets i want some and actually that that's a real one uh that's made from just like this extraction process where it's just like a drip process of what but, oh cool and it's the bottle i mean it was it was like a 90 dollar bottle uh we had uh-huh. a party we used to do these things called deathmatch um back in like 2007 to to 10 here or at, at my house in portland which were these huge themed parties and we had a japanese themed one and we had um 60 different kinds of sake and they were just wow. all over the board. They were everything from those bottles, you know, like uh-huh. uh, another one called Pride of the Village, you know, Wings of Fortune, all these things, till we took a Hello Kitty, um, like an office-style water dispenser and filled it with a guy cacon. Uh, uh-huh. so put, put a bunch of paper cups next, Dixie cups, so you could, like, be drinking this amazing sake and then just go pound, like, six shots of, of um, you know, baseline <laughs> shit, which also helps you there appreciate you. the good stuff. Um, Absolutely. But the reason I bring this up is so with green tea... You know, obviously, they, there's a lot of really fanciful names, but there's also certain things that show up consistently across uh, different brands. One of those, so with green tea, one of them would be gunpowder green. Uh-huh. So what what is that? Okay, so and we have a gunpowder, um, which in yes. Chinese is, is, is zhu cha. Mm-hmm. And the thing that makes a gunpowder a gunpowder is... Okay. Just just to take a quick step back, so I just there's the oxidation spectrum. So there right. it goes. So there's white to you know, green, white to green to yellow to oolong to black to puar. Yeah. That's your basic oxidation mm-hmm. spectrum. Within each um, step along the the rainbow, uh, if you will, um, there's a bunch of different um, processing styles, and 
to further complicate it, there's a bunch of regional names. Mm-hmm. Um, so some things are a T in a style from a place, mm-hmm. and some things are just a style. And at this point, the the sort of uh, official terroiriness of some of the names has gotten diluted. So, like, for instance, I will come back to gunpowder. Yeah. But, like, a Tieguanyin... Um, you know, properly, and we're talking about green teas now, just to clarify for anybody yeah. listening. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, 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 like a Tianyin oolong properly can only be from one place in Fujian, but a lot of places make th- teas that are called Tianyin because they're they're following the same process. So, gunpowder, back to your question, is a style of green tea, and um, what makes it even more complicated is it's a fairly expansive style of green tea. So, so old gunpowder was um, rolled into little pellets, mm-hmm. oh, and okay. and and that was one of the things that led to the translation into gunpowder because it looked like old pellet gunpowder, okay. um, and it's one of the older um, forms of export tea. So, when you think about the tea that would have gotten dumped into Boston Harbor. Mm-hmm. Like some of that was gunpowder. Ah. Um, n- our gunpowder isn't rolled into pellets, but it still um, f- fits a flavor profile of gunpowder teas. And the co-op that makes it calls a gunpowder and we believe them. So we're going to say it's a gunpowder <laughs> tea. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's um, assertive. It's really tannic. It's a little bit smoky. And so some people will say like, oh, it's That's smoky gun like gunpowder. Yeah. And the answer is like, not like really. no, it, it has nothing to do no, with it. It looks like something you'd stuff in a musket. <laughs> exactly. Um, and one of the things about it, it being rolled into pellets um, is is that it was really durable for shipping, which is why it was an export tea. So so it um, you couldn't really break it, mm-hmm. and and that's that's sort of what it is. But in in terms of of the teas we carry, it, it it's one of the only sort of one note teas, which is basically like it's gonna slap you in the face like like a green tea. Yeah, and it's probably is it's, it's a little more assertive in the in the realm of caffeine, or about the same as the rest. So caffeine's really interesting, yeah. um, and and there all the every, a lot of people say a lot of things about caffeine that turn out to be incredibly wrong. Yeah. Um. So so one thing that people say is that white teas have less caffeine than than green teas, and that black teas have more caffeine. So they basically attribute the oxidation spectrum to caffeine and that turns out to be completely incorrect mm-hmm. um the problem with talking about caffeine that's like saying that red that, wine has more alcohol than white wine right it doesn't make like, any sense. maybe sometimes but like not really it's not a, it's not a given it's funny how many um parallels there are with tea and wine oh yeah for sure um so one of the problems with talking about caffeine and tea is that so much of it comes down to how you steep it because it's all about extraction. So um, you can grind tea down and, and, and then do a, a chemical analysis of, of, of how many you know milligrams of caffeine there are per gram of tea. And, and that's what, what you can do. But, but that doesn't tell you how much caffeine is in the cup of tea you're drinking. Right. Um, be, because it it has no bearing on like the actual finished product of what you're, what you're doing. I will say this, I will say that the, the gunpowder tea that we have is quite, uh, it has a very strong taste and I got on a gunpowder kick a couple years ago and then I stopped when I realized my hands were shaking. So yeah, I actually okay. think that our, that our, <laughs> that our gunpowder actually does have a lot of caffeine in it. Um, but it's not, 
I, I don't think that's always true. And, and I was also drinking a lot of it and I was steeping it really strong um, because I was very tired at the time. Yeah. Well, that, and that, that's kind of what caffeine is sort of meant for, I think, right? It's keep yeah. one alert and awake. And I think, um, you don't have to rip your eyelids off. You could just drink yeah, a lot of gunpowder tea, tea. And you know, good to go. Um, yeah. And it's interesting. I, I love, I love that about tea is there's sort of, you have a more control over the level. Whereas with coffee, that's, I mean, obviously you can drink espresso or whatever, but for the most part, coffee, you're not like brewing it less for a weaker cup, right. you know, you're either drinking right, exactly. decaf or you're drinking coffee or you're drinking espresso. Uh, so I think that's really, uh, really interesting. And I've always found that even the caffeine delivery, the feeling of tea mm-hmm. to be much more gradual of a slope, uh, whereas coffee sometimes tends to, to kick you in the ass. But also, of course, like you're saying, with a strong enough tea and a long enough brewing, you can achieve whatever it is you set out to do. <laughs> well, the thing I really like to do is that I use a lot of leaves and I, I use fairly short steeps which is like what some people on the internet will call it like the a gong fu method um which is sure whatever gong fu is that, um, that is that the a vessel or is that a method so so gong fu would be a a, a method of, of brewing tea okay um so um people will often use uh, like a gaiwan gai for That's their gong fu, of, gong fu. For, yeah. for for their gong fu tea mm-hmm. like like it, it they can go hand in hand but they're not they're not necessarily linked um and so but i i i just use a like a stainless steel tea filter um the ones we sell and we sell them because i use it um and i'll basically fill it up with leaves and use really short steeps and re-steep my leaves you know probably six or seven times before i i I chuck them and what that means is that the first two or three cups are really quite strong and then the last three cups are are increasingly just hot water that that's like tinged a little bit green or a little bit brown. Yeah. And and that is the way that I sort of modulate the the amount of caffeine that I'm consuming because I, I'm not going to drink less tea, but I, I can drink it stronger or weaker over the course of that sort of arc. And there's a there are there are terms uh, specifically for like those different rounds of tea, like the first and then the second steeping, right? I mean, there's like yeah. So, so it, it, in Chinese, it's just a pao, yeah. um, which, 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 which just means like brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and you do, I mean, this, this gets into um, like pu- people most often drink puartis in this method, right? Yeah. And, and so people will talk about like the second pao, like the, the, the second steeping of, of your tea as like the perfect one or, or, or sometimes the third pao. Um, and then after that, it, it's sort of still good, but it sort of trails off a little bit. Um, I, I find them all to be uh, sort of worthwhile. Yeah, and it's interesting to probably you, you're getting to different characteristics along the way. Now, would it be fair to say that in uh, that tea consumption in Japan is predominantly green? More mm-hmm. than, yeah, okay. It's what it seems like to yeah. me. Like they have the different, like, you know, the genmaicha and the matcha and all that, you know. What is yeah. the, to you, what, I mean, what's the difference, primary difference between Chinese green tea and Japanese green tea? So, so here's where I have to, to be pretty careful because I know. Uh, you don't I, have to be let's, careful. Let, 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 let's call it, let's, let's call it a fair amount about China and Chinese tea. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say a lot, but, but enough. 
and I know almost nothing about um, Japan or Japanese tea. Um, and, and that's because we come to this not from like a deep-seated love of tea, which has developed, but from sort of a long history and love for, for China. And there's China's enough culture. to know about Chinese tea um, to keep you going for a couple lifetimes. You don't necessarily have to branch <laughs> off. So, well, yeah, sure. But it, it, it's, worth, it's worth exploring. And I've really enjoyed um, good Japanese teas. I think that often people will say that Japanese green teas are grassier and that, mm -hmm. that they run sort of lighter and, and grassier um, f among green teas. And what's really interesting is that I have to be careful here too, because a lot of my sort of East Asian history, it, it starts with sort of an assumption that it all comes from China because this is a Chinese assumption. Um, but it, what is true is that tea comes to Japan from China and, and that there's a time um, around the year, like around 500 years ago, 600 years ago, where, where there's a lot of, of sort of back and forth cultural communication between China and Japan. And then they, that sort of ends pretty hard and things sort of develop along their, their own ways. And so one of the things that's really interesting is that um, so, so this is in the Song Dynasty where, where everybody's sort of happy and getting, getting along and, and Song Dynasty tea culture and sort of Japanese ceremonial matcha tea culture are the same. So, so you have, um, the, the preparation of, of ground tea that that's whipped with a whisk is what the, the Royal court in the Song Dynasty was doing. And everybody in China basically moved on from that and and it was preserved and refined and, and made really special in japan along the way and i find this sort of fascinating as, as sort of a lens into what song dynasty tea would have been like um but i still don't know a lot about japanese tea well it sounds like you know you still know more than the average bear uh, so that's good. <laughs> that's that's an answer that I, I, I think is I hope I know a little bit more. Every time you say, I, I'll be careful, I just want to say, you'll be dead. <laughs> he doesn't like you. <laughs> I don't like you either. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I've had some really interesting... So gunpowder is obviously the one, one of the, the sort of physical uh, incarnations of green tea. I've had some really interesting flowering, some really beautiful flowering teas uh, uh -huh. And how is that? It's almost like they come, they, they, they are packaged as like almost a little ball, but then when they get into the right. water, they turn into this they, they, sort they of, sort of um, open up. starfish yeah. kind of thing, uh, which is amazing. And this gets back to like to the aesthetic appreciation of, of the the thing, and like we don't have any because um, there there aren't any organic fair trade ones. Like if if okay. any of our partners wanted to make one, then we would have it, yeah. and. One, one of the sort of great uh, bonuses of, of limiting ourselves in the way that we've limited ourselves is that, like, we just get to not think about some things, which is great. Right. It's, again, um, like making a wine list where if you're trying to incorporate everything from around the world, you're going to go insane. It's going to be diluted. Where if you're like, I'm just going to have wines from Provence, you can get. Exactly. Then, then you can get really into it. Yeah. And and so one of the ways we're limited is, is that we're limited by what our producing partners actually make. Um, and this is getting going back several steps in our conversation but there we work with almost every fair trade certified co-op in china there's like one that won't answer my emails um but there isn't a lot of fair trade tea there's there's a fair amount of organic tea in china right now 
um, because a lot of, there's a, a growing domestic appreciation for organic agriculture. And so there's like more and more organic tea in China, which is great. Um, but from the fair trade side of things, from, from the co-op side of things, there really isn't that much. much. And so we're, we're really happy to work with the partners we have. Um, and we're happy to have added the ones that we've added because there, there's some new, newly certified co-ops that are, are really great to work with. Um, but it, what it means is that we're not doing the thing um, like in the documentary mentioned, like walking around the countryside, like walking up to people's houses and being like, Hey, you are like, are you making good tea? Like, let me try your tea. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, which in my, well, in the documentary, it's that. like, they're flocking to him. Every place right. he well, goes, they're like crowding him with the bags and he'll just be like, either this is going to be most like 90% of the time. He's, he just sniffs it and he goes chemical bad nah. and just yeah. pushes it aside. Right. Cause everybody, obviously they're very persistent. He's walking around with a, you know, pockets full of cash you know, oh, doling sure, it yeah. out for tea. So of course everybody's like swarming him, and he's just like, yeah, most of it. But he's he's obviously over the years become very good at. If you said I, yes to everybody, you'd end up with a lot of really bad tea. This uh, is true. Yeah. Um. Uh. But it me it means that we're we're, we're somewhat limited in uh, in in what we have, and uh, to 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 reason like like we have worked with our partners to develop teas that they weren't making or that they had made and then they stopped making and we said like no really like that was good you should keep making that and we'll buy it and and one of the the cool things is that we've been doing this long enough now that we actually get to say things like that and they kind of they sometimes they they do which is cool, cool. yeah um but uh anyway what we were talking about green teas we were yeah. talking about flowering teas yes. ah, so we don't have any flowering teas yeah but yeah, that, but they that, are <laughs> aesthetically but they're really cool yeah, they're a reason to have a a tea brewing vessel that is not opaque. Um, exactly. You know, to uh, appreciate it. Now, I had no idea, honestly, before I ordered the one from you about, about yellow tea. I don't think, I'd never heard of it. Uh, no, no, like, like it's, it, it's, it's an unsung tea. And, and it's because it wasn't an export tea at all. Um, it w It's like a, a, a small regional style that like never made it to the big time. Like you don't have um, it currently. You have it every no. now and again. We had it the once, okay, and it was yeah. it was really good, and and everybody really liked it, and um, we went back to, to buy more the next year, and they didn't have any. Yeah. Um. So, and and since then, you know, every time we said like, hey, we we would buy more of that, they said like, oh yeah, we'll make some, and and they've sent us some yellow tea that wasn't as good. So like, I don't know if it was a fluke, or if it was a really good year, or if if the you know, the team that was, was on the, the production, uh, that year was, was sort of special, but as soon as we can get, get good yellow tea again, we will, cause it was so good. Um, but we haven't been able to, which is sort of a bummer. Well, that's just um, the reality. That's what, you know, I think that in turn kind of, uh, it creates demand, which actually is a perfect time to segue, uh, into some ads. So one of the first coffees that ever really opened my eyes to how good coffee can taste uh, was Speckled Axe out of Portland, Maine. Back then it was called Matt's Coffee, uh, and now it's called Speckled Axe. Uh, they have both blends and uh, single-origin coffees. Uh, the flavors are just really intense. Um, they're really funky. They're not... They're just so unique and different from any other coffee that I'd ever tasted that it sort of started me off in trying to, uh, on, on a quest to uh, just taste a lot of different kinds of coffee. It was one of the, the coffees that really got me to think about 
what I was drinking and, and more importantly, got me to think about, you know, how I was actually brewing my coffee because I would notice how I would have it, you know, at the shop. They have two shops now. They have one on uh, Congress Streets uh, in Portland and it's at 567 Congress Street and also a brand new spot uh, right down on the waterfront, which is really cool. And that's at 18 Thames Street, T-H-A-M-E-S. Or you can check them out at speckledax.com. And there's no E on the axe. It's just speckledax.com. Uh, so you can check them out there. But uh, he, he would roast his coffee. And he uses a, a vintage Italian uh, Petroncini uh, filled with local hardwood. Uh, it looks like most well-constructed industrial quality roasters, but instead of a series of gas jets, uh, there's a firebox beneath the uh, brick-lined steel drum. And so basically making it this way, uh, making it kind of a, a bit of a um, more traditional way, really lends itself to the complexity, the flavors, and the characteristics uh, of this coffee. Uh, and you go, and it's, just, it's one of those places that literally, like, you want to go... Every morning, which I did, I used to go, I'd sit, have my chocolate donut, read the 48 Laws of Power, and later read Mastery by Robert Greene. This is the Speckled Ass Coffee Shop is where I basically read both those books in their entirety. I'd show up every morning at 6.30 and just hang out until 7.30, uh, sipping coffee. Uh, and they have also lots of cool different uh, you know, methods. They have like a siphon, a few other things you can check out. But I always went for the straight pour over. Um, but it's also the coffee that... Uh, you know, got me through uh, the periods of the pandemic when you couldn't go to the coffee shop. I always brew it at home. Uh, it's absolutely delicious, and you should find out for yourself. Uh, you can check them out at speckledaxe.com or check out either of the shops at 567 Congress Street in Portland, Maine, or 18 Thames Street in Portland, Maine. The new space is really cool. It's big. It's uh, lots of uh, natural light. It's right on the water. Uh, a little more, a few more options as far as the uh, the edibles there, but the same delicious coffee. Uh, and again, that is Speckled Axe Wood Roasted Coffee. <laughs> and we are back with Martin Connolly, the owner of the Little Red Cup Tea Company, uh, operating out of Brunswick, Maine, uh, but representing uh, teas from all over the growing regions of China. Uh, we were just discussing yellow tea, which is uh, a little more rare to find uh, in the in the United States in general. Do you think, or in, in the United States and in China, like, oh, in like China. It's, it's really yeah, it, like it's really not a popular style of uh, or, or production method of tea at all, and it should be because it's delicious. Um, but what makes yellow tea sort of special is that they basically take green tea, and then right before they finish it they they sort of seal it up and let it sit for, for a bit and it and it sort of sits by itself and then they finish it and so it's on its way to being an oolong but it isn't quite um and that's that's what it is so they sort of halt the process before it goes full oolong now oolong is a fermented tea or a more yeah, so, fermented but not aged yeah, like so, pu'er correct so so one of the things that's tricky is, is that there's this translation problem where um, people talk about uh, fermentation in tea when they should be talking about oxidation. So, so ah. pours are are, are semi-oxidized. Okay. Um, but this is this is 
true for like a broad swath of, of, of the world where, where somewhere along the way, somebody started calling oxidation fermentation Which is totally and they were just wrong. Off base, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and, but, but enough people use the word that, that, that people use it, um, which is, is frustrating. Um, so yeah, so pores are semi-oxidized. So, so, um, white teas are not oxidized at all. Green teas are oxidized a, li- a very little bit. Black teas are fully oxidized and, and, and oolongs are, are sort of halfway there. Um, but they're halfway there along this really sort of broad, broad spectrum where like they're like, oxidized in a certain way. Whereas a black tea is just gonna, it's just a continuation of the process. Whereas the oolongs, they seem, if stop me, if I'm wrong, they seem to sort of divert it. In its in right. that process to attain certain characteristics, exactly, and, and and you end up with like greener oolongs or dark oolongs. So we actually have two right now. You have the jade um, which oolong, is, right? Right. So we, we we have a jade oolong which is quite green, and we have a da hong pao which is quite dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're both oolongs because they're they're both between sort of green and black. Um, the the jade oolong is a a style. Um, from Fujian province that's often called Tieguanyin or, or Iron Goddess of Mercy. Ah, and, yes. So that's, um, that's, a, that's, that's another one that's a universal name that's not just a name of a certain brand. Because I've seen the Iron God of, Goddess of Mercy. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so Guanyin is, is not a goddess. Guanyin is actually a bodhisattva. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have, do you know about, um, have you ever like watched um, any of the many versions of the Monkey King? No. Okay. Well, you're missing out. Um, uh, but is uh, this? Uh, yeah, I, I haven't. You know that whole genre of of film seemed to have escaped me, and not on purpose. <laughs> I have a lot of things in my mind, but I'm happy to add a whole new, you know, yeah, catalog. No, you're, you're, like you're, you're going to have to get into the monkey. Just text me the, the monkey... name of it, and I'll. I promise I'll watch it. Uh, all right. So, so the <laughs> Monkey King it is is sort of this this character from Chinese mythology, um, and. and is written in this this sort of epic novel, for lack of a better word, called Journey to the West, where a group of uh, of um, of people and and sort of semi deities go from China to India to retrieve um, sort of a Buddhist text to bring back to bring Buddhism to China. Um, this is there. There is a point to this. Yeah. Along the way, the they are are protected and overseen by Guan Yin, um, who sort of looms large in, in Chinese Buddhist uh, thought um, or, 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 or representation. Um, and why this kind of tea is called uh, Tie or, or Iron Guan Yin, I have no idea. Like literally zero. Um, but it's from uh, traditionally from this one part of Fujian province and it was a, a popular style of oolong that has since spread um, beyond. So, the, so mm-hmm. like a lot of it, um, a lot of Taiwanese oolongs are, are, are made in this style. And then um, our, our oolong um, is also of this style. But since it wasn't made in Fujian, we weren't going to call it a Tie Guan Yin. Mm-hmm. And so we called it a Jade Oolong, both because of its um, uh, color and because it's a traditional name for, for a, a variant of the style. I see. So it's a really long, a really long answer for a question that I'm not sure you even asked. No, it's <laughs> well, it's actually all because what I was I wasn't looking at my my phone because I was bored of what you were saying. I was <laughs> I'm like, would he ever shut the fuck up? Um, I was looking up the Phoenix collection, the tea list I was talking about because yeah. he has a a, a Taiwanian oolong here. Um, yeah, it's a, a, a 
it's a competition grade. It's called, but the the name of the tea is uh, Monkey Picked. Uh, so yes. picked by monkeys, and because uh, he only has about f- uh, five oolong teas here, Mount, three mountain oolongs and two Tiguan Yen. Um, uh-huh. But it just reminded me that I, that I read that last time. Yeah. The, the monkey picked. Um, so the monkeys were working hard there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, de- de- definitely, definitely only monkeys picked that tea. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so so the thing about that tea is that like it's it's rolled into little. So one of the things about it is that they're whole leaves, but they're they're really compressed. They're they're sort of rolled into little balls, and as you steep them, they unfurl. And and so it's another one where a glass teapot is really nice because you can the they're really beautiful leaves, mm-hmm. and and you can sort of appreciate them um, for for their beauty that way. Um, and then the dahong pao that we have is uh in, it's a, a rough translation is like big red robe, um, or or big red article of clothing, um, oh. which is a little bit more of a mouthful. Um, there, there's like a whole, yeah, there's, there, there's a whole nother story about that, about like an emperor and a bush that turned red and, and, and the whole thing. But it's, um, it's also a style of, of oolong from, um, a little bit, of, uh, further South than where their ours is from. Um, but it's much more sort of, um, yours is from Fish, uh, Fijian, is that what you said? Or our, our Da Hong Pao is from, uh, Hubei. Hubei. I'm going to make sure I'm right. Um, but yeah, and I think that you know m- most people have at least you know somewhat of a an idea of what green and and and, and black tea tastes like. But um, oolong is one of the styles as well as we're going to get into tapuer in a moment. But uh, c- how would you explain the flavor of an oolong tea to somebody who is asking uh, about it, who's oh. interested in trying it? And how would they? What's the best way to go about and sort of um, picking one out that's like it? The difference between one yeah. that's more green or one that's more black, right? So, so that's the big one, right? Is, is is it more green or black? But like, what what is it that makes it taste like an oolong? Is is a really interesting question because like they def- there is definitely like e- even a- across the sort of swath of oolongs, like there's definitely commonality there. A lot of them you end up with with sort of um, cool sort of metallic tones in a good way as opposed to a bad way. Um, but what's I think that what the thing you can say about them is that they're kind of too noted um, in in a way that other teas aren't. So this this is this is a weird analogy, but um, if you've ever heard like oh, Mongolian or Tuvan throat singing, where you have like mm-hmm. like a dual tone going on, yep. I I think that you can say that oolongs sort of have something similar, where where like you can they they almost have like two melodies or a little bit of harmony to them. Um, if, if we're being fanciful and, and metaphoric. Yeah, which it's um, tea. Might as well be, you know. Um, but yeah, I wonder what other people would say because I don't have a better answer than that. Um, and I'm sure that somebody else has, has a more thoughtful answer or, or a different metaphor for it. But you have an answer that I think would prompt somebody to really want to find out for themselves. You know, wh- what so. does a two-note tea taste like? And which which leads us into um, the idea of, of pu'er. So pu'er is a tea that's aged. And as I was saying earlier, they tend to be sort of like the fine Bordeaux of tea as far as the, you know, that list that has one available from the 80s. Um, right. Because I was actually going to ask you, I guess going into it, is I'm almost out of time to get more tea from you, but I'm, I'm down to my last like quarter canister of your pu'er. And And okay. uh, I've had it for a little while because I bought like six tins at once and I drink coffee and tea. So it's like I'm not as, you know, it's kind of like with weed for me. Like an eighth lasts me like... <laughs> 
three weeks. And some people are like, I smoke that in like three hours. And I'm like, well, I'm just, you know, I do a lot of things. Um, so anyway, so I have this, it's, I probably got it about um, maybe a year and a half ago now. What's uh-huh. the, the shelf life of, I mean, it tastes, it tastes great. Uh, what is yeah. the shelf life of, of dried tea? So it depends on the tea. Yeah. Um, so, so black teas and poor teas are going to last, you know, easily years. Um, green teas and white teas, you may get to a point where they get stale. Mm -hmm. Um, but depending on the tea, they may just turn aged. Um, so like for instance, like white teas, people say like white teas are only going to last like six months or a year or whatever. Um, but they also sell aged white teas. And so at that point, like what? It's still it's still tea. Sounds like, kind of like a green tea. It's right, kind of like, an aged white tea, right? I mean, that's kind of the. Um. So, I I would say that like uh, green teas can get can they, they don't go bad, right? So we're not talking like milk or eggs or or, or anything that that's sort of going to go off. The the worst thing that happens is is sort of you lose the. I never took any chemistry, but um you you lose some sort of of the enzymatic action and 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 some of the the radicals or or whatever yeah um but uh on the the fully oxidized end of the spectrum on on black and poor you can basically just leave it alone for years and and some people that's what some people do with their poor teas and i'm I'm gonna throw it in real quick just because i feel like just just mercilessly uh, bludgeoning you with wine references. Um, but it's almost kind of like being like, okay, you, you know, a pu'er or, you know, or a, great, a really good black tea, you know, that's going to, you can drink that, you know, from the 80s. But, you know, are you going to open a bottle of like New Zealand Sauvignon, like a, a bottle of Oyster Bay Sauvignon Blanc from 1985? Yeah, it's like, going to really. be older and it's going to be different. <laughs> Probably right. not in the same way as a Bordeaux that it's been properly right. stored. For sure. Um, I, I think that's a really good analogy. So poor is interesting because um, the, the, we, we once again are, are, are sort of mixing aesthetics and business here. But the thing that makes poor poor is, is the the varietal and the region. So poors are from Yunnan exclusively. You can't make a poor from somewhere else. Okay. And they're really big leaves. So it's a literally called like a big leaf. Um, and they um, are often also made from older, taller trees. So most huh. uh, cultivated tea is cultivated into basic teas a, a bush, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and most cultivated tea is, is kept at, at waist height in hedges because that makes it easy to pick. Um, and there's a lot of old growth puar. Um, that's actually getting uh, some of it's getting cut down um, to plant coffee now, which is a whole other thing, but yeah. which is like trees. Um, and they called it like um, in Chinese, it's, it's like ancient tree poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a really long time, the the cakes um, of, of poor were not particularly appreciated outside of China. Or, or and, and really just like they weren't they weren't popular. It seems like it was and, one thing they used to do, um, maybe it was they, they, they would actually stamp it with a, a logo mm-hmm. into the tea yeah. and make little bricks yeah. they'd use as currency. And that was like sort yes. of tea as currency was in the form yeah. of these little bricks of, of poor, which I think is incredible. 
Yeah, so so poor and and also an, another kind of tea called which is is tricky in Chinese is called black tea. Um, and the only reason it can be called black tea in Chinese is because what we call black tea in English is called red tea in Chinese, which ah. is very confusing. Okay. Um. So so it's often translated in English because we can't call black tea as dark tea, which is a whole other thing. Um. <laughs> but there was a an old trade route that went from Yunnan uh, north, um, to Russia, and so so the the old tea horse road. Um, is what they called it. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason uh, for the bricks, like you can see them stamped in Cyrillic, actually, uh -huh. um, fr from this period, is is because it travels really well, right? Mm -hmm. So so if you take if you take tea and you basically compress the shit out of it and, and make it something that you can stack, then you can put it on the back of a donkey and take it 2,000 miles. Yeah. Um, so, so people have been doing this all along, or, or not all along, but for a long time. And what happened is, is we, there was a time in the 80s, so not, not super recently, but there was a time in the 80s where demand for, for aged poor tea was outstripping the poor tea that, that people had aging currently. Ah. Um, and, and so there was this big supply problem um, for poor. And, and so um, a, a, a team of researchers at, at the Yunnan Agricultural Industry uh, Institute of Tea uh, basically came up with a way to artificially age puar, um, and and so now oh. you have sheng puar and shou puar. Okay. And 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 sheng puar is basically they take the leaves, they're green at this point, they press them into a, a cake or um, or a disc or a brick, and wrap them in paper, and you put it somewhere, and and you're. You could drink it green, but but you're not supposed to. You're supposed to leave it on a shelf. Right. Show poor is can be loose or it can be. And that's pressed. what that's what that's what you sell is show poor. That's what. Yes. I, my, the one I have is loose. It's not in a cake. Or... Yes. Right. So so it can be loose or it can be pressed. But the thing that makes it show as opposed to shung is that it's it's artificially aged, um, and. And, and this was the solution to the supply problem of basically like we want all of this old tea, but we don't have enough of it. Um, and, and so what they do there is is the other way it's translated is post fermented. Um, and so what they do is they basically take black tea, um, black poor tea, um, and then they finish it as black tea. Then they heap it up into a big uh, pile in a, in a moist room and close the door for a while. Yeah. And the, it basically composts itself, which is a, uh, a really unappetizing way to think <laughs> about it. A really delicious process. Yeah. Um, it seems like it would also make it less expensive in this process than the, the it, old school way. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and so, so there, there is now basically you can have as much poor as you want because cause you, can, you can artificially get to what would otherwise take 20 years of mm -hmm. sitting on the shelf. Um, which is why, uh, why we're able to sell it basically. Yeah. Um, and so, so Puars are really interesting because it, 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 it's both a region and a style, but it also, you know, it, and, and it, it is most easily compared to wine where there's like a lot of, of sort of nuance and time changing the, the characteristics of things. And you can, um, stretch it out and, and, and compress it, and, and it's it's sort of an, an interesting aesthetic experience. And it's really wild um, if you see it. People, I mean, most people don't haven't really haven't seen what it looks like a disc of of puar, 
Like, you yeah, know, it's like a, I mean, it's like the size of a small pizza. You generally wrapped in, in, in cloth, uh, usually, or it, it, it's usually like a light paper, like paper, like okay. almost a rice paper. Yeah, um, and it's really amazing. It's just like a brick. Um, yeah, that uh, it's hard to really describe. It's almost <laughs> it almost has like it almost looks like chewing tobacco. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. You know, it's it's really really cool. Um, and I, you know, I said that you didn't need any, any tools to, to make tea other than like hot water and a cup, but, um, for poor, there, there is like, there's a sort of a standard set of tools, which is like a pick and a little hammer. Cause you, cause you basically have to sort of break it off the disc and sort of take it apart to, before you, um, are going to steep it. Um, because, cause you're not going to drink a whole disc at a time. Right. Well, um, right. And, uh, so, so, so you do get, there are, there are some, some tools that you can buy if you get really into poirs. Yeah. Which I mean, um, that would justify if you're really into poirs, I think you're going to have, you're the kind of person who's going to have a pretty interesting arsenal of, uh, of tea vessels and, and brewing implements. Um, last time, last time I did it, I think I used a screwdriver and a hammer to, to <laughs> grab, to, to, to knock off a piece that I wanted. Nice. Again, they sort of the, the meth, um, <laughs> way of the break, exactly. breaking up the meth, you know, uh, now, I'm going to finish with two different styles. One that you sell. Uh, so black tea. Most people, yeah. black tea is just black tea. And I think even more so than green tea. I think because of places like Starbucks selling matcha or whatever. Yeah. People at least now, they're like, oh, there's different kinds of green tea. Um, yeah. But black tea, for most people, just it's just like black tea is black it, tea. It, 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 it's just a monolith, right? Like yeah. it's, it's just like black tea is its own thing. Yeah. Um, which it clearly isn't. Right. Um, so yeah, so black tea is fully oxidized, which means, and, and the oxidation process in tea is, is taking a step back is basically, so you pick the leaves, you let them wither. Um, and then you, you, you basically have a, a couple of different levers you can pull along the way. And, and one of them it is to, to fully oxidize teas. You're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to break the cell walls so that air is hitting cells so that they're turning brown. And so, People do that by rolling it. People do it by like tumbling it in, in like almost a big like rock tumbler. Um, and there are a couple other ways you can do it. Um, but basically, what you're doing is is you're you're breaking as much of the the cellular structure of the tea as you can, and then you're bringing it up to temperature where the, that enzymatic action stops, um, and and fully drying it out. Um, and so that's what what you do with black tea and that's why black tea is so stable because you basically it everything that could happen to it has sort of happened to it already yeah and then and then you you all you've broken all the cells you you've you've cooked it at heat and you then you've dried it out to a, a low moisture point and at that point as long as it stays cool and dry like it's it's pretty much going to stay the same theoretically mm-hmm. um so there's we, we sell two black tea. Well, we sell three black teas right now. Mm-hmm. So we sell um, a, a black tea that we call Wu Yuan Black, and we sell a black tea that we call Yunnan Black. Mm-hmm. And I swear to God, I didn't know that they sounded the same when we made that decision. <laughs> and it, it, like, it was really, it was a weird experience to, to say that to people and have them not, like, think I said the same well, thing. As long as they taste them. different, I think that's the most important And they thing. do. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I had no idea that they sounded the same. So Wuyuan is a county in Jiangxi, um, 
where a lot of our tea comes from. It, it's one of the like 10 beautiful counties because there, there are all these lists in China and, and they're on one of the lists. Um, and it is in fact a beautiful place. Um, so, so Wuyun County and then Yunnan province are, are the places that, that our black tea comes from. And then the third black tea we have is a Lapsang Suchong, um, which is a smoked black tea. Yes. And so that's, you take, you take finished black tea and then you, you finish it partially by, by smoking it over, um, pine fires. And I, tend, I tended more to I, cook with that than drink it. Yeah. Um, because it is, it is a very strong flavor for sure. Yeah, it's a great way if you're going to make your own makeshift smoker in your oven, uh, mm-hmm. doing it with that tea, <laughs> you know, smoke, yeah, smoke some yeah, duck breast it, it, or something, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like liquid smoke. Yeah, it is. Um, it's pretty amazing. It's very smooth, very um, aggressive. It is. Um, what, what's, what's great is we, we've had several people be, um, send us, send us letters saying like, I made this at work. And everybody thought there was a fire and I had to, and then it was just me. And I was like, yes, I know exactly what that is. Yeah. Like. It's like, that. it's, um, it's like Roush beer. Uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's not, are you going to drink 12 Roush beers? No, probably not. I mean, unless you're get something really seriously wrong with you. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's a very, it seems like it's something in, in I don't know. I, I don't think I could drink a big, a big mug of, of Lapsang. Yeah. It's interesting. So, so yeah, like ours is much smokier on the no- nose than it is when you actually drink it, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the sort of nice things about it. I've had some that are, are like drinking liquid smoke. Um, people do interesting things with it. Some people mix it. Um, and so they'll use like a little bit of that with other black teas. Um, sometimes nice. it, it's like great for hot toddies. So like it definitely lends itself to blending and like adding a flavor to something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're all good. Yeah. Now, I love, you know, I find the, the, the world of tea and drinking tea fascinating. Uh, and, you know, especially now and, you know, talking to you and, and just trying to, you know, t- tasting as many different teas as I can. But the funny thing is I it, sometimes I totally forget that for so long, you know, in, in the late 90s and growing up, just my perception of what tea was um, sure. was like, oh, you go to like LaRue Kitchen and they've got, or actually, I think it was called like the. It was called something different back then, like the pampered gourmet or some shit. Uh, the whip, the whip, and, the whip and spoon. That's what it was called, the whip and spoon. Um, you know, it's all all the same. That's but like, good. my perception of like what made tea different. There was like English breakfast and Irish breakfast, and those were all. Right. And, now, and those most teas I feel like that people associate are the ones we were talking about earlier, like red rose and like those. Yeah. Those are Assam teas usually, right? Yeah, for sure. And that's in India. That's an Indian black uh-huh. tea. Um, yeah. And that, I think to most people when they say cup of tea, like Earl uh-huh. Grey is an Assam tea. Exa- exactly. It, it, an Earl Grey is an Assam tea with bergamot. Added. Ah, yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, so so um, tea goes from China to Japan through 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 the sort of closeness of them. Tea goes from China to India through... Um, uh, industrial espionage. There's a great um, book about this. Oh, yeah, about the East um, India Trading Co. or something, where the guys yeah, smuggled and, across. And, and, yeah, and Robert Fortune. Yeah, um, and he actually a, posed a, as, an, as a Chinese, like where he dressed. He's a Scot, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so, so, you know, for everybody who's talking about all of the intellectual property that, that China's currently stealing, which is true, <laughs> um, there, there, there's a long history of it going both ways, um, both with tea and with silk. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so so the the British, um, th- with, with the help of Robert Fortune, um, take um, 
sort of tea from China and, and import it into India and then into Africa as well. And and that's where, you know, now an enormous amount of, of really good tea comes out of there. Um, English breakfast not necessarily being uh, one of them. Right. But, well, I don't really even um, know what that classification is. I just know oh, that's what a lot of them are called. I mean, I'm assuming it's just it's a yeah. certain blend. I don't know. Yeah, no, th- those are those are just sort of blends and flavor profiles. So like yeah. Earl Grey it, it is basically English breakfast with bergamot. That's all it is. Yeah. Um, and you really can't like. There's no such thing as English breakfast. It's it's yeah. just. It, it's it, more because it, that's a... what they all drink at breakfast time. <laughs> like, right. Well, it, it's it's like black tea from Assam that tastes that way. It, yeah. It's it's called an English breakfast. Yeah. Like there's not. Which is, I mean, it, I I I guess I guess I have to take it back because like. It, there is such such a thing as English breakfast, but but I don't know that it. Uh, I don't know that you could grow it. Right, it, it may exist, but it's not it's not what we're talking about. And I think yeah. that and that, so so there's those teas, and then but the other one that I've always been really fascinating with, and my knowledge is really limited of, is Darjeeling, uh, uh-huh. which seems like now that's on a different level than a lot of the. Yeah. So it, tell what tell me about Darjeeling. What makes it so special? I know that you're more okay. into the Chinese teas. But... No, no, no. I, okay. I, I, so right. So 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 I'll I'll do my best here. Um, Darjeeling teas are really good, and they are um, there. It, it, Darjeeling is a region um, in in northern India. That's that's as close as I can get you geographically. Um, and the the varietal varietals are the same as as teas grown in Assam. They're they're Camellia sinensis Assamica. Um, but what makes Darjeeling sort of special is its geography. Um, tea grows best in beautiful places, mm-hmm. um, which is very convenient for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, kind of like uh, apples or grapes, the thing that makes um, for good tea is, is hot days and cool nights. Um, and so tea grown in sort of warm places but at elevation is, is often really good. Um, because you get both like good sun and heat, but also cool like mist and night. Um, and so Darjeeling's um, geography lends itself to, to producing really good and interesting teas. Um, and so from a flavor profile, they're, they're often uh, they're unique to the area. And so, so there's definitely some terroir in there, but they're also just interesting and dynamic and like very tasty. The good ones. Yeah. And they drink and they're... You said the the they generally are black teas. Yes, it's not like green yeah. green Darjeeling's or. I mean, so so you can make one right because like it, it's just in how you process right, it. It's but really I don't. Yeah. I I can't recollect ever having a green Darjeeling. Okay. Yeah, that's really cool. That's that's really interesting to me. It's like that sort of, it's like that sort of, uh, you know, best of both worlds sort of you know Sammy Hagar David Lee Roth area. Uh, David Lee Roth obviously being China, <laughs> Sammy right. Hagar being <laughs> Assam, you know, and then Darjeeling is where they, you know, ain't talking about yeah. love. I like both versions of it. You know, I got to say. A- absolutely. If you are uh, coming to the end of this journey with us, uh, you are either into or are interested uh, in getting to know, uh, include more tea in your life. So uh, for our listeners... You can actually go to is it, it's littleredcup.com or littleredcuptea? It's littleredcuptea.com. Yeah, littleredcuptea.com. Uh, and you can enter the promo code uh, COMA 
and get 20% off your first order. And I highly recommend the teas. Like I said, I, I, I drink them myself. Um, it, as Martin said, they're great for beginners, especially because they are fairly forgiving, but you're also really getting all the quality and all the nuance of the, of the tea. Like you're not, it's not like I was talking about ordering a $400 tea that you're going to no. badly butcher and it's going to taste like caca. Uh, this is, uh, their, their teas are, are, are really delicious and, they, and stylistically, uh, there's a lot of representation there. Um, and I think I've tried most most of the styles. I've had your oolongs, the poor yellow, green. I haven't had all the different greens, but I've had two of them. Uh, so I can highly recommend uh, going there, putting a big order in, and just kind of tasting your way around China, you know? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, well, no, thank you for uh, thank you for providing us uh, with a promotional offer. And so hopefully you'll go buy some tea. Uh, and if not, hopefully uh, you've enjoyed learning and becoming... Hopefully you're, you're leaving enriched. Uh, I'm Joe Riccio. Uh, I want to thank uh, Martin Connolly, uh, owner of the Little Red... Uh, Little Red Cup Tea Company uh, in Brunswick for joining us today. Uh, this is the Fukuma Podcast. Thank you. This is super fun. <laughs> <laughs>